Let's go ahead and turn to Genesis 12. Okay, And this is where we're at this morning as we inch our way through the book of Genesis. Sometimes we'll go faster and other times we'll go slower just because maybe there's something that we need to hit on and uh, spend a little bit more time on. And so today we're not going to get very far. We're really just going to cover about nine or so verses, maybe ten. And, um, and then we'll keep making our way next week through the rest of chapter 12. But look with me at chapter 11. And I want to start at verse 26. And then we'll move on into chapter 12, a few verses. And so chapter 11 of Genesis at 26. It said, Terah lived 75 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abraham, or Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And, and Haran became the father of Lot. Uh, Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth in Ur of the Chaldeans. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, Sarai and the name of Nahor's wife was uh, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishkan. And Sarai was barren, and she had no children. And Terah took Abraham his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, the, his son's, uh, Abraham's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 250 years, and Terah died in Haran. And then verse chapter 12, The Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I'll curse and you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so as we begin chapter 10, once again you see we're back into uh, genealogies. And we know from Genesis that um, this goes all the way back into chapter uh, 10 and and even into chapter 9. And it deals with, um, having come out of the ark, the list of nations that all the peoples of the earth that then would come out of Noah's family. And so what we have is, as we looked last week at the Tower of Babel in the beginning of chapter 11, you kind of had, uh, and that's right, because... That happened as the, they believed as the nations were being dispersed. Um, then once again, it picks up some more. And of course, this time it wants to show us that starting with Noah, we now are seeing the line being traced all the way to Abraham. And something to understand and help you understand, because it helped me when I came across this by one of the guys I like to read, is he pointed out that in our culture... Uh, genealogies and family lines don't really mean as much as they do in other cultures. There's probably only a few of us here that um, anybody in our family has actually created a family tree and we can actually trace our family back quite a ways. Um, I had an aunt in my family do that and so I can go back several generations and uh, trace my roots all the way back into England in that area. Um, But most of us don't and we're different in our culture, aren't we? When two guys in America sit down to talk, you know the first thing they start talking about? Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was thinking their work. <laughs> Obviously, i got to hurry to get you guys home to see the rest of the game. But yeah, you're right. Especially this time of year, they talk about football. But seriously, we talk about work. And if you were in the Middle East and you ask, uh, uh, the question would be asked, 
who's your father? And so that's a very important thing to know. Who is your descendants? Who is your father? Where do you come from? And so it's, it's kind of different there. But what I want you to see is I, I don't want you just every time you come across these genealogies in the Bible is to just kind of brush them off as nonsense because especially here what we see is real significant. And for me, I thought about it as we've seen all these names and oh my goodness, I mean, you could imagine and you should be thankful I don't read them for two reasons. They would bore the heck out of you. And second of all, you've never seen anybody butcher names like me. And so I could just destroy this. But what's interesting is you could just look at your pages and you could see so many. And if you would just picture all the names that we see here as strands of thread, and let's put them in the brown family, and they're all different shades of brown. And then all of a sudden now, as Abraham is mentioned, Abraham is a red thread. And so when you put Abraham in the midst of all these multi-shade brown threads, you look at it and you realize, uh oh, something's different here, something's significant. And, of course, that's what you could look at as we now are brought to Abraham. And, of course, for several chapters now, we're going to be looking at the, the, the life of Abraham. And so in Abraham, there is so much to see. I've mentioned this to you in Genesis that Genesis is an awesome book because it, is, it deals with so many people and so many different topics. In Abraham alone, you could spend time. We probably will talk about obedience. It's there today. I'm not going to really hit on it a lot. There's lessons of courage. There's lessons of failure. There's the whole challenge of having no children and then the battle of waiting and for God's timing with that whole thing. And even today, as we begin and look at his call, there's the message of grace that comes through. Um, what we refer to as that unmerited favor, that, that which is shown to us, but we don't really deserve it. And we see it really in his calling. You know why? Because Abraham was called by God but there was no real reason why him. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you today that right in the beginning of his life and in his, in his early days and even as he makes these moves, and it's for sure next week as we get into when he heads down to Egypt for a while, we see mistakes on his part. We see failure in his part. And so here Abraham, right at the beginning, is like this beacon of light that is just shouting out the word grace, grace. Because again, God didn't pick Abraham because of who he was or anything special, but he picked him because of his sovereignty. Reminds me of a, years ago, Dennis the Menace um, not only was a TV show, but it was a comic strip. And one of the comic strips one morning was a great one. There was Dennis, and of course, Dennis's buddy was Joey, his neighbor. And they were walking away from uh, the Wilson's house. You know, uh, the, Mrs. Wilson loved them, and Mr. Wilson, they drove... Mr. Wilson crazy but in one of the captions they're walking away from the house Mrs. Wilson and Joey and Dennis their hands are just filled with cookies and you can imagine any little boy's dream heck with dinner's just about ready right I can still pound down eight chocolate chip cookies no problem and so as they're walking away Joey asks Dennis he says I wonder what we did to deserve this and Dennis with wisdom beyond his age said look Joey Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies not because we're nice, but because she's nice. And you know, you guys, that's grace, isn't it? God shows grace to you and I. God shows mercy to you and I, not because we're nice, and I don't mean to offend any of you, you know, but really because He is. And that's what we see here with Abraham. Max Licato says, I've never been surprised by God's judgment, but I really am still stunned by His grace. And that's true, isn't it? 
And I hope that you never leave that point where at times you just stop and realize the grace of God over your life and in a way you're just stunned by it. Another way that Abraham's life speaks to us, and this is going to come out today in a large way, is that Abraham was a man of faith. The verse in Hebrews 11.8, you got that? You're coming there. Huh? We're having issues, huh? Okay, well, we might have PowerPoint today and we might not. But anyway, there it is. Okay. We know in that Hebrews 11.8, it says that by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So in this incredible chapter in the New Testament that lists all these men and women of faith, there we find Abraham amongst that list. And he's there because he was one who walked with God. He trusted God. And, uh, and faith is something that still speaks to you and I today. You know, the flood had destroyed one corrupt society, but now another is emerging. And so God takes one man, Abraham, and he's about to bring forth um, something bigger, isn't he? Genesis 3.15, that promise of the seed and the Messiah coming is going to happen. And so, you know, you and I look at scriptures or we look at our own life very often and we look at this and we see, well, this is what it seems to be. But really what's going on here is God is working that plan of redemption and it's going to come through. And so, yes, he's working with Abraham and all these things. But behind the scene, even way bigger than Abraham, God is always looking ahead, even to the cross. And he realizes this is what needs to happen for me to get to that point so that mankind can be redeemed. Now, where we're at today, put the map up, Debbie. Are we there? Are you working now? Or are you still struggling? Okay, so just... Um, this is really going to blow my teaching if you don't get that map up there. Anyway, the, if you look at the map... <laughs> Where we're at today is in, in the Persian Gulf um, area, and we looked at this last week of what's called the Fertile Crescent. It takes us all the way, do you got it? There you go. All the way down the bottom right there, you'll see the little word Ur. And I know that's small, but there's just no way to get this bigger. And so what we're going to look at today is Abraham is going to go from all the way down here, and he's going to go up what's called the Fertile Crescent. And of course, today that's a Iraq. Iran is more to the east. And you can see the mountains. You can see the Tigris River, the Euphrates River. And then he's going to go all the way up to where the red lines start. And that's where Haran is. And then he'll make his way around and come on down to what you and I know today as Israel and to the area of Shechem. And so keep this in mind that he, he, this is a journey that he will now make. And, and really, it's, it's, it's quite a journey. And so in verse 31, again, look at it. It says, Terah took Abraham his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son's Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Cana. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. And so the first leg of the journey was from uh, Ur to the north in Haran. And very likely Haran is named after uh, one of Terah's sons. His sons, remember, look at verse 26, are Abraham, Nahor, and Haran. And so now they go to a city that it's believed was actually named after uh, one of the sons. And how it got the name is interesting. There's a couple possibilities. The first one that you might, if you study, you'll come across is that originally this is where Terah and his sons were from. And so there's some thought that they were actually from here and that maybe Terah started the, the city up here, named it after his son, and then later his son stayed there while the rest of them moved down 
to uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, uh, leaving him behind. Or it could be that they were their home was Ur, and that Haran then had taken off. And again, remember, we're talking about adults here. We're not talking about little kids. And he had taken off and headed up north, and he then planted and settled in this city, and it became named after him. And at this time, notice again verse 28, that this son at least is dead. Haran has passed away, and, uh, and it's happened as they think he would have made a trip back from Haran. At any rate, he did live there, back to Ur, and then he died there um, in his father's presence. Another thing you might pick up on is it seems to say in verse 31 that Terah got the ball rolling, that it was the father that said, come on, let's get out of here, let's, let's go up to Haran. And, and it does seem to do that, but really we know, and the reason we, we would probably say that isn't the case is because we know that there are scriptures that really do say, no, it was Abraham who was called. And in, in, for whatever reason, his father and Lot, his nephew and servants and stuff went with him. And of course, we read Genesis 12:1. It definitely says there that Abraham is called forth. And then verses like Nehemiah 9.7, we're on target. Okay, good. Um, it says, you are the Lord God. You chose Abraham and brought him where out of from Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him his name Abraham. And then Acts 7, Stephen said, he said to me, hear me, brethren and fathers, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was where in Mesopotamia before the land of, before he lived in Haran and said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come to the land that I will show you. And so, the only thing I could tell you is why is it put like this is maybe because the importance of fathers and the way they list things it got listed that way and that's the best I can do to tell you why but I think the position you need to take is that no it wasn't the father that got called out of Ur and then maybe Abraham got called out of Haran it was really Abraham that was being asked to leave and there were two routes that they could have gone um you got the map again? Am I just, I'm just going to fickle you all day today, ain't I? You saw the map. One would have been to cut right across what is known as the Arabian Desert. Okay? And so that's almost a direct line going from Ur straight across to Shechem. But the other was the way we know they, they probably went was, and we, they did, they went up through the Fertile Crescent. And remember, it's called the Fertile Crescent for a reason. You could see the rivers. You can imagine just like the Columbia Basin in eastern Washington, of the, the, the produce and the life that comes out of the Columbia River, well, this is the same. And so this was an incredibly fertile area and that they would have gone up to the north and then come around. And the reason probably that is is because they were herders. And you can imagine if you were Abraham and you were about ready to leave and go to a land you didn't know to go and you said, okay, and God would have led you across the desert, you might have made it, but you would have probably shown up by yourself because all your livestock would have probably died in that desert. And so again, the better route would have been to go along the rivers, even though it took a lot longer. And uh, that's probably how they went. So we come to verse 1. So the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And so this is what we call Abraham's calling. Okay, What God was asking of him. And notice he was asked to leave what his country? his extended family when it says relatives and to leave immediate family. That was his father's house. I like sometimes the King James, you know. Most of the time it's hard to read and everything else. But in the King James it just says, get thee out. <laughs> and that's clear, isn't it? 
You know, leave kind of implies, you know, when you want to, but get thee out is like right now. Yeah, yeah, right now. Get out. And so it's it really, though, means the same as leave, and it literally is translated walk. So Abraham, start walking. And, and lock that in, you guys, because, you know, living for the Lord and serving him, it really is about leaving. It's about setting aside our wants, our desires, and it's about seeking him. You know, I was thinking this morning with Wink and I, and uh, I entered the ministry really back in the early 70s. And I went to Bible college and graduated and was ordained in 77. And uh, it's amazing how I dotted the land until finally I got back to Seattle. I'm from here and uh, went all over the West Coast in different ministry. But I was just thinking about, you know, that that is what God wants of us. He wants us to be able you know, to do that and, and to leave. And very often he calls us to that. And that's what we see here. And so he called Abraham and, and or I should say he called Abram. I'm sorry, I keep saying Abraham here. Abram is comes and it means high father. But then as we get to chapter 17, his name gets flipped to Abraham because at that point he's told he'll become the father of many nations. And Abraham means father of a multitude. And so um, Abraham, he calls him and he's told to leave not knowing where he's going. And again, that would require a step of faith, wouldn't it? You know, um, again, thinking about my early days, I was thinking this morning about when we were in the Salvation Army ministry. Um, those were incredible days. And I bless my wife's heart because you ladies can imagine how hard this must have been where in the Salvation Army, they basically would tell you in May and you were moving and it didn't matter how long you'd been where you were. And um, you didn't have any say in it, and nor did the church or ministry there have any say. And four weeks later, you'd be in another pulpit teaching. And my wife and I went through that for quite a while, and it was actually very hard, and it really took its, its toll on her. But I was thinking of those days and, you know, coming into a new area and, and just kind of going, okay, God, you know. And I'm sure on that first Sunday morning, I looked all polished and like, okay, this is great. But inside, I'm just going... Where am I? Where have you sent me? I mean, I think of Portland, Oregon. We got sent there one time, and it was a great ministry. I wish that there were aspects of that ministry we could have here today. It was an inner city ministry, but it was such a tough ministry the first year. We went into there, and uh, it was a combination of like a community youth center and a church. The church was just so spiritually sick, you wouldn't believe it. And, uh, and so I had to deal with that. And then they said, we're going to, they brought me into, because there was a building project, and we, we put up a gigantic youth center, and I had all that going on. And in the process of that, there was just, um, the drugs in this neighborhood were amazing. They would actually use our sanctuary, the police would, and they'd come in at night. And we had bars on the windows because the crime rate was so high. And with all the lights off, the police could sit in our sanctuary and watch the drug traffic going on. And they'd radio cars down the street and just bust people because it was just like drive-up drug dealing. And it really was. I mean, it was amazing of that. And I could, th- I was thinking this morning as I was thinking about this, the, the, the as we built the building, um, I always thought it was spiritual. And Rich was the site supervisor. He was an old ex-union guy, so he always thought it was a union guy. And the company had just gone non-union. And so we went through. They burned out their uh, construction trailer. They tore up all the stakes when the building was being laid. And I remember one morning, Rich says, okay, Scott, you got to come and see this. This is it. And, and I know this is gross, but I've never stopped from saying something gross before, so why now? But literally somebody had taken a dog and killed the dog and uh, gutted the dog. 
and laid it wide open on our entrance to the new building and smeared the blood over the door and wrapped all the intestines of the dog over the, the door handles. And I'm not joking. I mean, you might think, okay, he's a preacher, he's exaggerating, but I'm not. And ask my wife, she'll say, no, that really happened. And and so you can imagine that what was going through our minds at times as God called us to go forth. And all I'm trying to say, you guys, is that's what God does, though. You know, God says, leave, go, I'll be with you. And, of course, this is what we're seeing with Abraham now. This is this really would have been an incredible thing. You know, I want to show you, and I think you'll see real clearly here, that to stay in Ur would have been much easier. Now, you say, well, what was the attraction of Ur? You know, it, I mean, could there be much there? Wasn't it just basically a couple buildings to water your donkeys and maybe buy 10 ears of corn for a dollar at the fruit stand? But really, it was much more than that. Not only was he told to leave home, family, friends, and again, everything that was familiar to him, but it was a city... Um, in its time, and you can see where it is here, I blew this part up, how close it is to the Persian Gulf, that it had access to the Persian Gulf. And so this would have been a trade city where everything out of that Fertile Crescent not only was used in that area, but could come through Ur and go through other parts of the world, but everything from the other parts of the world was also coming up through the Persian Gulf and was going through Ur as well. And so it had all types of trade routes. Um, and it allowed all types of trade and food and stuff to go on. Sir Leonard Woolley was a, a guy back in the 1922 to 34 who excavated the area with archaeology, and he found royal tombs in Ur. He found jewels, musical instruments, and these statues that were just incredible, showing the quality and the ability of the craftsmen of that day in this city. And John Davis says the archaeology uh, data gives the impression that Abraham's Ur was a sophisticated, well-designed, wealthy city, one that provided the best available comforts. And so keep that in mind as you think that now he's called by God to leave this, to go where? He doesn't know. Just go. Head north. And so he was asked to leave a place that provided life and provided a good life, a place where man, animals, crops could flourish. And Ur was also a place of worship. Now you say, well, that's good. And I say, no, that's bad because it wasn't the worship that we know of today. They actually worshiped among other gods. They worshiped the god, the moon god, who was, no, I thought this was interesting, as sin. And so that's maybe appropriate. And which Terah, Abraham's father, worshiped. And very possibly, this may shock some of you, Abraham worshiped as well. You look at the verse in Joshua here. Phew, and it says, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And so if you do some studying and check me out here, you'll find that there is a possibility. And if you think about it, you know, what the family does, usually the kids are influenced by as well. And there's thought then that Abraham at some point might have worshipped these other gods as well. And again, before you say, oh my goodness, my image of Abraham is shattered. Well, just think for a minute how many of us came into Christianity with some really weird baggage as well, see? And some of you are young and maybe you didn't, but a lot of us that are older, we brought our baggage and we brought our weird philosophies and our weird theology. Coming out of the drug culture, I used to believe that earth in this life is hell. You know, that was convenient, right? That way it's not like the Bible says, and this is just hell, and someday we're going to get to heaven. And when I came to Christ, God corrected my theology and said, mm, you got a little off there, Scott. Let's talk about this and I'll tell you what's really going on. 
And so again, we see that, don't we? That, that we bring that as well. And so leaving Ur does seem, though, to watch us to say that this city, and it was a city, you guys, and all it offered, as well as the worship of other gods that were in this city, whether we, you know, to say for sure Abraham was a part of it, really it, it left Abraham empty. I think we could say that. And it left him searching. It left him wanting more. And so naturally he didn't want what the city could offer and spiritually either. And so again, I think what it is, is like many of us, he kept growing. He kept maturing. He probably started thinking for himself and, and examined the, 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 the teachings of these gods and realized there are holes in it. There, there, there's weaknesses in them. And so finally then he got to the point where he came to know the one true God and followed after that. And so as we're told, God called Abraham to leave his home. I think at this point then we can say that it was not only just a, a decision, a, a natural decision, it wasn't that actually, but it was God, the God Almighty, Yahweh, working in his life. And by the time that he makes this move, I think he had come to see the real God and was learning who he was and was now listening to him. And so leaving Ur, again, uh, many ways it could have not been an easy move. Um, he, he did go ahead and go. And again, it, it's about grace. You see that? Because if Abraham, again, you could take this example, what if he worshipped other gods? You know, you'd say, if it wasn't grace, God would say, you're disqualified. Because cause what do we know? The Bible says, I'm a jealous God, worship me alone. And yet we know it's grace because God says, well, if that's the case, it's okay. And, and not that he wants that, but, but he's saying, I still can use you. And Abraham was willing to turn from that. Well, then verse 2, he says, I will make you a great nation. He's speaking of Abraham. And I will bless you. And make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in all of the families of the earth, uh, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so even though God did not tell Abraham where he wanted him to go, he assured him that Abraham, as you go, there will be provision, there will be blessing, there will be protection, and there will be a future. And as I was studying, that hit me. Is that true for today, Lord? I got a hunch it was, and I started looking, and I realized, wow, Lord, the same is true today, that God promises everybody in Christ provision, blessing, protection, and the future. Think of Matthew 6.23. You see provision where he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and I will take care of you. Now, he doesn't say, I'll give you everything you want. He doesn't say, you know, I'll give you this and that, but he says, I'll give you what is needed for life. You think of blessing in Galatians 3 where it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law having become a curse for us for it is written cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. That's you and I. So we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And if you add to that Ephesians 1 there blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who what? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so there's the blessing. You look at protection in 2 Thessalonians 3, but the Lord himself, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And then a future, 2 Timothy 4, in the future there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so it's amazing, and really you guys, we won't get into this, but you'll find that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so often what, he, what you see of him in the Old Testament and the promises he's making to the Old Testament believers there, you'll find it carries right on through. And of course, we are in the church age 
and it carries right through to us too and we see the same thing. I think it's important too to also note that I don't think God is done with Israel. You know there are many in this world that hate Israel and that is not strong enough word. There are so many of the countries that surround this little nation. They would just as soon see that nation disappear. And yet I believe without any doubt that God isn't done with Israel. I think it's important you and I have under that. There's theology out there that really says the church has replaced Israel. And again, you need to watch out for that because you'll hear that. I can't remember the right term. I know I could ask Tom and he would probably remember the term. But so what they feel is that that where God was talking about Israel here and now as God talks about the church here, that that same love, attention and whatever for Israel, the church has really replaced Israel. I think it's called replacement theology, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And uh, it just takes me a little while. Okay, these are really hard terms. Okay, (laughs) but anyway, um, and so and again, I don't agree with that because I think that God still has his hand on Israel. And I think as we went through our studies in Revelation not too long ago, we realized that we know now for the most part, Jews as a whole are not coming to Christ. They don't think Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, Yet many have and many do see him as their Messiah. And yet a time's going to come when the Antichrist seems to be, you know, this uh, seems to be the Messiah, reveals himself and the Jewish people's eyes in a large part are going to be opened up and they're going to realize who he is. And God is going to do an incredible work. And I believe thousands upon thousands of Jewish people are going to realize that, oh my goodness, Jesus is and was our Messiah and they're going to turn to him. And so I think that's an important thing that you and I understand. And I think when it says here that when God says to Abraham, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. In other words, you understand what's going on here? God is calling forth a man. He's calling forth a nation. And he's basically saying, I'm going to protect you. And if anything comes against you, I'll take care of that, Abraham. And again, I think there's something to be said of that today. You realize America is one of the only countries... And if I'm not mistaken, someone said we might be the only country right now that still supports Israel. And really, when you look at our national budget, it is nothing. Trust me. When you look at um, how much we give Israel versus how much we really spend on the world front and in this country, what we're giving Israel is nothing. But I believe that some of the blessings that you and I see in our country, and you know, you guys, and again, I'm not saying that I'm not this, uh, you know, America, the great, and I mean, I'm not... You know, I don't try not to look and just I try to look at things scripturally and and from a spiritual standpoint how God sees it. But you have to admit that it does seem God's had His hand on this country. I mean, it's 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 amazing. And non-believers will say that there's no country that gives any individual the opportunity to accomplish what can be accomplished in this country. And it's amazing, you know. And so I think it has to do with the fact that there has been in our in our history a sensitivity to Israel and so in a sense you could say we've been good to Israel we've blessed Israel and it seems then that what God has done is blessed back and I hope the day comes that we never stop that there are those in Congress that would like to see us stop that and I'll tell you when that day happens if I miss it you tell me and we need to do all we can to encourage our leaders don't stop that man I don't know what would happen I don't want to get to the point where all of a sudden Um, the cursings of God come at us in in a horrible way. And so, again, I think it's important. And and think of the hatred towards the Jews, even to this day. And you can't help but see that it's true. They're his people. And uh, has, you know, has, I mean, it's just amazing the the hatred there. And it's because, you know, from a standpoint of our standpoint, we know the enemies there. 
And the enemy knows they're God's people, that God loves them, and the enemy would just like to see them wiped off the face of the earth. And so, again, um, I don't want to, we don't want to go that route. We want to realize that they are God's people and God is not done with them. So verse 4, Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan and thus they came to the land of Canaan. So leaving Haran, Abraham along with his wife, Lot, his nephew, no doubt servants from Ur and from Haran, livestock, they made their way south then to Canaan. And so having been told to leave Ur, but not told where to go, now as he's in the north in Haran, God says, here's where I'm sending you. Here's where you're going. And so again, and isn't that interesting, you guys? Note this, okay? This is a principle, a scriptural principle that's true, is that what God is looking for in you and I sometimes is to take that step. And Abraham was taking the step. You could say Haran was one step. The next step was going to be to Shechem. But God didn't tell him that next step till he had seen that he was willing to take the first step. And you guys know that principle, don't you? So often we say, well, God, I'll, I'll take the step, but where do you want me to go? And he's going, no, no. Take the step. And I'll reveal to you the next step. And he does. And so it's good to see. And I should tell you, and I hope this doesn't confuse you, but there is something here that if you do any study into this passage, you'll come across. And it's that Haran, the city Haran, as well as when Abraham took his father and Lot, some actually see this as a failure on Abraham's part, as disobedience. reason is, in chapter 12, verse 1, he was told to leave his country, to leave his family, to leave his home. And by taking relatives, by taking his dad, some say that was disobedience. He wasn't to do that. And it's interesting to think about that. In chapter 11, verse 31, it says they settled in Haran. And again, some see that as that they got there and they got a little too comfortable. And so then what we read in verse 4 is God's kind of having to tell Abraham again. Hey, Abraham, I called you to leave. Get going again. And then another thing is the that Lot. And if you think of Lot, and you'll see that, we'll probably see it in just a week or two, that you know um, Lot is in a way a type of the flesh or the natural man as opposed to spiritual, which Abraham was. And we know that Lot caused Abraham some problems down the road that Abraham had to step in and take care of. And so if that's the case, you say, well, what are we to do with that then, Scott? Well, I think it just shows us that Abraham's human, that he's a man of faith, but no man of faith is perfect. And so um, it isn't an excuse then to live less than what God would have us live, but it just reminds us, man alive, I'm going to live the life God wants me to live. I've got to depend on him constantly. And so verse 4, Abraham was 75 years when he made this move. In other words, he now could get the discount, the senior discount at Denny's. Okay? And, uh, and, and again, he lived longer. But again, you guys, I think it really speaks to our hearts about be flexible. You know? And you that are aging along with me and some of you are still young and you're not even there yet, man. Your life is just ahead of you. You know? Um, it's easy to start settling down and we get less and less flexible in our life. And so I would say it Really, in this day and age, I'd say it to you that are old, be careful. Don't become too inflexible. And for you that are young, uh, don't limit your dreams. And again, if you were to ask Wink and I, Wink and I have been all throughout the West Coast in ministry. It's only the last 20 or so years that we've pretty much been in the Puget Sound area. But I'll tell you, I would have never dreamed back in the early 70s when I came to Christ or even in 77 when I went out of Bible school that 
I would be exposed and have the opportunity to do everything I've done. And you, if you say why, again, not my own doing. If anything, it was by God's grace just saying I was, I was dumb enough to be flexible and just say however you want to use me, God. And again, that's what God wants, you guys. It breaks my heart so often when people want to minister and serve the Lord, but then the next thing they do is they tell me how. And it's just like all of a sudden they're building these parameters and these walls. And, and I realize, so in other words, you let God use you, but only if it falls into this picture. And it's sad because I think God is just looking for someone that will, when he says go, they'll go. You know, They don't have to know where or why or how or anything. And then God, of course, you know, you guys, we could trust God. Okay? We really can. You know, it's not like human beings who say, come on, trust me. And then they have a trap set for us. You know, if God says do something, you know, he doesn't have your, uh, he doesn't have uh, bad in mind for you. He has good in mind for you. And so we see then that uh, Abraham was flexible. Um, Verse six, then Abraham passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moray. Um, now the Canaanite was in was then in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, "To your descendants I'll give this land." And so he built an altar there, and to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, continued toward the Negev. And so he goes south to Shechem. It's almost due north of Jerusalem to what is known as the Oak of Moray, and possibly it's an oak grove of trees, a grove of oak trees, the same that Moses mentions in Deuteronomy 11. Um, and it's interesting because it, notice it points out the land was occupied. And I thought, Lord, that's good. It isn't, isn't it? You know, so often we think, okay, Lord, can you send me to the, the tropical island where there's no issues, no problems? And God says, I'm sending you a new land, uh, Abraham. And, and by the way, look out there. See out there? What are, what are those, Lord? Uh, those are Canaanites. And they don't like you. They're not going to like you. And they're going to cause all types of problems. Um, but it's interesting. And that's where he sends it. And, and really, archaeology and historians have discovered that the Canaanites actually had shrines in these groves of oak trees. And so this one now, Moray, could have very been one of these uh, shrines and a cult place where they worship their pagan gods. And, and that's where Abraham is taken. And so it says the Lord appeared to him. And if that literally means the Lord appeared to him, then we know it's what's called a theophany. I think that's how you say that word. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ, and that does happen. It happened to Joshua, remember, on the plane, you know, when the this, the Lord showed up and he says, you know, are you for me or against me? And he says, neither. And so that very likely is a here an Old Testament appearance of Christ to, to Abraham. From Shechem, he goes farther south to Bethel, which is only about 15 miles north of Jerusalem. And notice both places, I'm sure you picked up on this, he built an altar to the Lord, but at Bethel it says that he called upon the name of the Lord, and it literally means this, you guys, he proclaimed Yahweh by name. And I thought that's interesting. So now, you know, there's no doubt that he knows who God is, and there's one God, and he proclaims his name and he worships him. And notice right where he worships him, in the midst of the Canaanites. You know, he's, he's willing to worship. And so, it has only taken us a few minutes to go through to travel an incredible distance, you know, amazing, to cover incredible events, to cover real-life trials and challenges and stretching of a man named Abraham and his family. And uh, 
and already we, we see some incredible things. And so as we go, I want to just give you a couple things to think about to take with you from the passage. First of all, we've mentioned a couple times is we definitely see the grace of God in this calling. And that is just such a good thing to be reminded of, you guys. Because for all of us, myself and you included, you know, we don't come to God based on our own righteousness, based on our own achievements and merit. We really come to God every time because of His grace and because of His mercy. And we see that. And then, of course, we see, again, a good reminder, and this could speak to some of us today, maybe as the place of faith, that really the Word tells us without faith it's impossible to please God. And so you and I are to be people of faith. And you realize this is so important that we never get away from that place. See, when we're young in the Lord, we think, okay, I'm young in the Lord, so I have to have faith in this and that. And you just think someday it's going to be easier. I'm not going to have to have faith like this. Well, you know what? If you're younger than I am, i got bad news for you that Christianity never changes. You're, you and I are called all the days of our life till He calls us home to live by faith. And so when you're young, the issues are different. You know, I know some of you have young families and you know, you're going, Lord, just help me. It's really hard being a parent. You know, it's hard doing this. And then when you get older, it's like, Lord, you know, heal my back. It's falling apart and I don't want to stop life yet. You know, And the issues just shift. And see, but we never leave that place where God is saying, trust me, have faith in me and keep walking in that way. And that's what we see here. Notice, you guys, the place of faith with Abraham Notice it gave him confidence as he went forth from these lands and went ahead. And see, that's what faith does to you and I. Yes, there's fear and trembling at times. But at times we say, okay, God, if, if it's what you want, I go. And you, you look at the obedience that came as he left these places. You think of influence, the impact that came from Abraham's life. And we'll see it more and more as he was a man of faith and did what he was supposed to do. No doubt it spoke to Sarai, his wife, and, and Lot and others. And notice what I think is incredible, and we'll, we'll, we'll see it all the way through Abraham, is Abraham's faith was an enduring faith. See what I mean? We don't read in this passage today that he got halfway up between Ur and Haran and said, forget it, and he headed back to Ur. You know? And we don't read that it says that they settled in Haran. And again, I don't have a problem with that. I think what you had there is the father needed to deal with some issues of his son's death. And the son probably had holdings up in there. And so the settle isn't so much as a permanent settling. Um, and yet, um, we see that Abraham never stopped trusting God. And, and so it speaks to us. And you notice another thing, that, and maybe this will minister to some of you, is you know faith doesn't exempt one from difficult things, from difficult decisions. I mean, can you imagine to finally leave Ur, the decision that it took? You know, We just read it and think like there was no stress, there was no laying awake in your, your tent at night, thinking about it but I think as Abraham was called to leave Ur I think there was probably a process that took place until he finally made that step and so it was a hard decision and then all the things that he would go through as he made that decision and you guys it's such a good reminder to you and I years ago there was a guy and if you ever seen any of his books you should read about him his name was George Mueller and he was this incredible man who trusted God and he lived in England and he ran these orphanages and he started literally a, a whole bunch of them and in the, the time of these orphanages, never once did he ever ask for needs or for, for what he needed. He just prayed. And the reason you need to read these accounts is that God just provided in miraculous ways for the needs of these orphanages and these kids and, and over the years. Things like 
you know, they needed milk and a milk wagon would crash in front of the orphanage and they had to go get rid of the milk. Seriously. And, and so it's interesting, but he says this, and, and, a, and a man like him, it's worth listening to. He says, God delight, delighted to increase the faith of his children. He delights to increase the faith of his children. We should, instead of wanting only victory and no trials and nothing to build patience, be willing to take them from God as a means of building our faith. I say and say it deliberately, trials, obstacles, difficulties, and sometimes defeats are the very food of faith. And so again, we're to be people of faith and we know what that means. And of course, the altars, the worship of God, we see in Abraham and then in the midst of non-believers. And I want you to remember something about Abraham as we're going to look at him now for several weeks. There's two things that mark Abraham's life that I don't ever want you to forget. It is tents and altars. And that isn't mine. I stole that from somebody. But that's true. The tents speak that he was a a man that was willing to move when God said move. But wherever he moved, there was always the altar. He was always worshiping God. And that speaks to you and I too. And notice, where was he worshiping? He was worshiping in the midst of non-believers. You see, he wasn't afraid to do that. So there's your food. Okay? There's your stuff to chew on today. And be encouraged. And next week we'll move on in chapter 12 and, uh, and maybe into 13. So read ahead. Let's stand.